Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. My name is Ruth Haley Barton, founder of the Transforming Center, and usually I'm here with my conversation partner, Steve Weens, but he is enjoying some sabbatical time. So I've invited my friend and fellow spiritual director, Reverend Adele Calhoun, to discuss her book, Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. Each week, we will be discussing a chapter from this transforming resource and looking at it through the lens of the invitations God might have for us, individually and in community, as we emerge from this life-shifting season of the past year and a half. Here is this week's conversation with Adele Calhoun on her book, Invitations from God. Well, Adele, it's good to be with you again in another episode of our series on Invitations from God, Accepting God's Offer to Rest, Weep, Forgive, Wait, Remember, and More. And the invitation we're reflecting on in this episode is the invitation to rest. And oddly enough, this invitation seems to me to be the most winsome. In fact, it's the one I most want to say yes to. <laughs> yes. And yet it also seems like the one that's most impossible on many days. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was really hopeful, and I don't know about you, but I was really hopeful that life would feel more restful and retreat-like. And in the beginning, it did feel like that for a, about a few weeks. But then, very quickly, what I noticed is that our days began to fill up with more meetings, and they were always on Zoom, so I found that to be more exhausting. And then we were all of a sudden figuring out stuff, like having so many meetings to figure stuff out and to strategize what we were going to do during COVID and all that. <laughs> and before long, my days were longer than they had ever been. Did you experience that? I could not believe it. And I was, I was sitting in the seat going from Zoom call to Zoom call to Zoom call, not moving for eight hours a day. I mean, yes. it, was, it was crazy. Yes, absolutely. So I felt like my days were longer and the issues were more challenging and there were none of the normal boundaries that we usually have between work and home and restful ease. And so as we return to normal, there are some things that I'm excited that we get to be back together again and ramp up again. And yet I think we also need to acknowledge a level of tiredness that on one level there was perhaps more downtime, but then the stress and the worry and even the trauma of trying to survive the last 18 yeah. months has left me, I'll just speak for myself, has left me kind of exhausted, deeply exhausted in some really deep places. Do you resonate with that? I, I really do resonate, Ruth, because when things all went virtual, there were days where I'd do direction during the day, mm -hmm. be online, and then do meetings at night on Zoom. And, mm -hmm. and you know, the, 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 there are studies about what happens that your body knows the difference between seeing your face in person and mm -hmm. on a screen. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do that. Your brain won't do the same thing. And so right. to feel exhausted is you're not getting getting back the same right. sort of stuff. The, yeah, do. the same energy that you get when you've been. Mm -mm. There's an energetic thing that happens between real humans when they're in rooms together. That's right. That I, I discovered more than I ever have before how important that energy between human beings is. And we don't get the energy. Mm -mm. when we're on mm -mm. zoom and then I don't know about you but my body would ache at the oh. end of the days like I would try to stand up and I felt like an old lady because I couldn't <laughs> even move I mean I am an old lady but like no 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 um, you're not you're not um, 
But because if you're an old lady, I'm really ancient. (laughs) (laughs) So I even found that my body was more challenged and and I finally Mm -hmm. had to really get more, you know, intentional about getting up and taking breaks and walking around the block and stuff like that. So I feel like this is another invitation that's just so needed right now. Oh, totally. Because we need it in a different way than we ever have before. And yet, how do we say yes to this invitation when we are simultaneously feeling the need to ramp up and we're trying to make up for lost time while at the same time we're, we're acknowledging this sort of exhaustion on the inside? Let's, I just want to talk about that a little bit. How do we balance all this out? This is a right invitation for us, but how do we balance these two dynamics? Well, I want to talk about this too because one of the things that I think is COVID has made me think about what am I afraid of? Hmm. You know, on many levels, what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of death? Am I afraid of sickness? Am I afraid of, what am I afraid of? And then as it, as everything opens up, I feel like the question is, what am I afraid of? And <laughs> what would, am I afraid that if I rest, am I afraid that if I scale back, if am I afraid that if I don't pivot fast enough and then fill in the blank? You know, I'll lose my donors. People won't come. I'll be, and I feel like, I wonder how much fear keeps us from resting. Well, I have, I've heard, you know, that pastors right now are feeling more stressed about the issue of whether or not anybody's even going to come back to church. Right. You know? Isn't that Barna said a third, a third, a third, third of your people will stay, third are looking at other churches and will go, and a third you'll never see again or something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know. I think that was the study and so there's reason to be afraid and and i think that that when we're afraid we do things out of fear for different reasons than out of an inner invitation from god exactly and that's where we talked early on about the need to create space right now for listening to god versus just reflexively and and reactively getting back out there and just trying to do stuff in hopes that that hopes it will get everybody to come back uh, and it would be very counterintuitive and challenging to stop, you know, and take the time for discernment versus just reactively trying to make stuff happen. So I one, think it does work against the invitation. One thing I really admire right now at High Rock is that the senior, you know, who mm-hmm. he, he just worked like a crazy man during COVID and everybody pivoted and the church is in great shape. You know, I'm I'm proud of where they are, but he, he's taking, he's going to two of those long term, like two or three week kind of detox, intensive counseling things just to yeah. try to be, and, and resting. He's taking a sabbatical for two months mm-hmm. and he's told the staff, you know, June, July rest, you know, I'm, we'll get, we'll get there. And mm-hmm. so he's not pushing everybody to pivot at this second and and I feel like that's what leadership will do I'm I'm taking this huge rest Mm -hmm. after COVID because I know that if I keep going I will be toxic to people right and you all need to do the same so who knows what it'll be like in September (laughs) yeah so so how I mean I mean pardon me for sort of pressing in a little bit for the details but when he says he hopes that they'll do the same are they working that out organizationally that everyone else can do it too Mm -hmm. so everybody's being given time and they're just structuring themselves Mm -hmm. around that I think that's the right thing to do and during COVID I mean he did the same thing in 
like December between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we were all supposed to take two or three, two weeks, you know, which Mm -hmm. is normally ramp up, but everybody had gone so fast. And then again, in the spring, take two or three weeks. This wasn't vacation. This was out of their vacation. It was just Mm -hmm. stop. We need to stop. So it's possible. And you know, the church is making its budget and, and I feel like they're not, I know that there's a lot of pressure to pivot and do all these things, but I feel like there's a real trying not to be afraid. There is a lot of wisdom in that. When you think about, you said it's important for pastors to lean into this. What would you say they need to do with their staff and with themselves? Well, I think this, the issue of rest and checking in and seeing what people need and seeing if that can be made to happen would, is great. I also feel that then from a rested place to have time and space for discernment versus mm. just brainstorming and thinking strategically and all that is something that I am calling for in the church right now because I, I think to go back to normal is just not going to be what people are even going to respond to. No, and and right. it would miss this unprecedented moment for discerning what God is saying to us as the church right now, the church, big C and mm-hmm. also individual churches. And so my prayer is that we'll get enough rest that then we can actually do some discernment and we will not feel that very pressure that you're articulating. Some people will, and they'll give into it. It will be a very counterintuitive move to make, to not do it. It'll mm-hmm. take courage to not do that and not try to keep up. I mean, I even felt it in COVID when I saw it in COVID that, you know, the large churches were already situated to do virtual. They already had right. their cameras and their right. crews and their teams and their sanctuaries were set up for this. But, you know, for the small, smaller church pastors, they had nothing, nothing in place for these technologies. And so their season was also spent putting in place and learning things and trying to get, you know, staff members or volunteers to do things that they literally did not know how to do. How to do. That's right. And... There's a, I think there's a level of exhaustion we have not faced yet. I don't nope. think we've truly, truly faced because because pastors are still under a lot of pressure from their parishioners to and there's get a going. sermon next Sunday. That's right. And well, why why aren't we back together? And why aren't we you know doing what we always did? And what are we going to do now? And they all have pent up. The parishioners have more pent up demand than exhaustion. The pastors are exhausted because they've been working harder and and you know, against the grain of their own giftings and against what they were trained to do for so long that I think this is a place where congregations and pastors could miss each other. Don't you? Mm -hmm. I do. Because what the the congregation needs is different than what the pastor needs right now. I hadn't thought about it that way because, but I think you're right. I, I also wonder if people, if the church, just members of the church coming out of COVID, if there won't be X amount of people who are like, I don't want to go back to the way yes. church was so busy. Mm-hmm. I don't want right. to be, I mean, I've heard lay people say, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not interested. I really liked being with my kids in my living yes. room, doing church together, discussing the sermon together, mm-hmm. having them color while that, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I would want pastors. I mean, to me, this calls for real discernment because I think the, the temptation will be to ramp mm-hmm. and to provide. And yeah. what if the things that need to be provided are less? Right. Or what if people just also say, 
I liked it when church really was just an hour and it wasn't yeah. all the other meetings and all, all the other, the other trappings that that's go what along I mean with by church. Less. I don't want to do that less. anymore. Yeah. That's right. And I think a pastor who doesn't take time to listen to that is going to be really, really pulling, pulling against yes. a grain and I, I exhausting agree. themselves in a whole nother way. So, so again, the invitation to rest becomes really, really significant. There was a place in your book where you described work in America, that work is a huge emphasis for Americans. We get more kudos for being insanely busy, overextended, and on the edge of exhaustive collapse than we ever get for taking much needed rest. You talked about being with a staff in a Christian organization and finding the leaders anxious and unrested and depleted, few of them taking their full vacation time. So I think this idea that Christians regard overwork Reward, rewarded as much as anyone, and that church leaders must struggle to model alternatives to the work addictions that ruin families, damage souls, and sometimes kill us. I think it is a real tragedy that the, that the church often contributes to these unworkable mm-hmm. schedules. Mm-hmm. And it's been, those observations are my observation as well from all these years in the Transforming Center. Everybody's tired. There's, there's not ever hardly anyone who ever comes and says I'm rested <laughs> and, refle- and refreshed and living in rhythms that are sustaining yeah. for me long term. So I remember early on, and you probably remember times when we would laugh about this, that we figured out if all we did was give leaders a place to rest and give them some <laughs> guidance for doing it, that that would have been enough. Like we could have done nothing else except yeah. give leaders a, pr- a place to rest, and that would have been enough. What do you think it is about our lives as Christians that cause us to kind of overlook God's clear invitation to rest? Because what strikes me about scripture is that the invitation to rest is found all the way from beginning to end. It's in Genesis all the way through Hebrews and probably beyond that. How do we get away with ignoring (laughs) God's real clear, unambiguous invitation to rest? What's going on here? So we can go back and forth here with reasons. Yes, please. Yes, let's do. I, I feel like one reason is that work is so good and satisfying that mm. there are for many of us, work is mm-hmm. is fun. Yeah. And for for some numbers on the enneagram, work is more fun than fun. You know. So. Well, and it, yes, and it actually gives them a sense of identity. A lot yes. of identity is wrapped up in it. So when I'm not working, I don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. So I have to. I better get back to work because I don't know who I am right now. And I think that is especially true in men, that the tight mm-hmm. identification of role and mm-hmm. identity makes it very hard to stop working, right? to give up working. Yeah. So we like it. And it's mm-hmm. a gift. You know, work is yeah. not a curse. Work is a, right. a gift. Mm-hmm. So what's your number two? I think also that... In recent years, and you know, I'm a pastor's kid, and my dad was pastor in a small fundamentalist environment, and so there was not the emphasis on church growth and getting bigger and better and more innovative, and that was not the emphasis. The the emphasis in my dad's life as a pastor was to be faithful, and that's Mm. what he was. Wow. I have seen a huge shift between those years being raised in a pastor's home. Not that he didn't have Mm -hmm. his issues, but I will say Mm -hmm. that that bigger, better, more innovative big bands and dramas and, you know, all that stuff. That was just not a part of what went along with the pastoral responsibility. And then with the onset of the contemporary model church, there, there came to be this emphasis on church growth. And it was almost like Christian leaders could get the same kinds of successes 
but in a Christian environment. That's you know, right. rather than getting their successes in a business environment, now they just shift it over to the church. Mm-hmm. And now I can be just as successful, but in a spiritual way. So that is great. And there's still a lot of drivenness in it and drive for success and notoriety. And then mm-hmm. even the kinds of churches that get um, featured in oh. m- magazines, they always start. The caption is always, he or she started this church and now it's in the thousands or grew the church yeah. from this to that mm-hmm. in six months. And you know, you're never going to make it into one of those publications by just being faithful to your little mm-hmm. tiny congregation. That's not going to get you on the cover of any no. Christian magazine. No. So I have really felt and seen a, a distinct shift and change in my life from being a pastor's kid to then being in pastoral ministry in the current cultural milieu, which has been around now for about the last 40 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with jumping off of that because mm-hmm. I think culturally our understanding of work has shifted in the mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. amount of time and that many pastors I talk to it's like um, they don't want the congregation to think they only work one day a week yes that's they, true they want to look as though they're working mm-hmm. as hard we know they are working hard or harder yes. but there's this sense of I have to prove to the people around me that I'm worth what you pay me and right. I'm working hard. Yeah. And maybe too hard, maybe not taking all my vacations, mm-hmm. but you know, I want you to see that the cars in the parking lot, I want you to see that if you call me, I'm there that yeah. I need to prove that I'm working. And I think that the normal parishioner doesn't know how long it takes to prepare a sermon. No. They don't know that it takes 15 to 20 hours to prepare a good original sermon. And I'm not talking about good in the sense of being all flashy and splashy. I'm talking about a good sermon that's theologically sound where you've studied that's and where right. you've put together some good illustrations and it has logic and it has flow and, and all of that. that. A sermon like that takes should take about 15 hours a week. I don't think they have any idea the kind of meetings, that all the meetings that, that mm-hmm. pastors have, all the things that go on behind the scenes, all the ways in which they have to be available for emergencies and go visit in the hospital there's so much of a pastor's life the preaching is just the tip of that iceberg but everything else is under the surface that nobody can see so I think that's I think that's a really good I think that's a really good point I also feel sometimes that people like to stay busy with work so they can avoid the Mm. emptiness and the pain Mm -hmm. of their lives you know if I just stay busy then I don't have to acknowledge this place of emptiness. I don't have to acknowledge what's not working in my relationships. I don't have to face my own dysfunction and lack of transformation. That there is a way in which overworking helps us to avoid some of the other facets of life that could use our attention. And that's kind of sad. But I feel that in myself, you know, that, um, you know, an interesting dynamic of Sabbath for me, and I am a religious Sabbath keeper, and I have been for 20 years, But at the same time, one of the things that's true is that on the Sabbath, I do have to face my griefs. Mm -hmm. Like during the week, I don't feel them as much. But on on the Sabbath, I do. Because Mm -hmm. there's not that much distraction between Mm -hmm. the empty places and the grief and all of that and my own awareness. Mm -hmm. So I think think some of the overworking is avoidance. So another reason, sort of piggybacking on what you said, that we don't rest is is really about our motivations for ministry and what we mm-hmm. what emptiness we're trying to fill in ourselves sort of mm-hmm. as you said mm-hmm. we are actually trying we may need our parishioners more than they need us 
Mm-hmm. Yes. We need the, we need them. We need the accolades yeah. and the constant feedback and all of that. Yes, absolutely. And resting brings up that that emptiness, that hole. That's right. that the subconscious has space yeah. to. Mm-hmm. And so I think Sabbath can be, like you said, one of it, it can be a very uncomfortable day. Yes. If we're actually listening and to our bodies and listening to sort of the freight that's coming up from our subconscious that we yeah. is unaddressed. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, I think, I, I hope in, that it normalizes those experiences for us to have said them mm-hmm. because then we can pay attention to them and see if those things are driving us. And if we see that they are, we can actually say no. You know, this is uncomfortable for me, but I'm not going to keep being driven in that way by those dynamics. So again, it brings us to a place of having more choice than if this Mm -hmm. stuff stayed out of our awareness. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad for that. And now, Steve and I would like to take a moment to share a little bit about another way you can go even deeper on your spiritual journey around the themes we're discussing here on the podcast. We'd like to tell you about our Transforming Communities. Transforming Communities is a practice-based spiritual formation experience with nine quarterly retreats. The Transforming Community Experience is designed to integrate your spirituality and your leadership and help you reclaim practices and experiences spiritual seekers down through the ages have used to open themselves to God's transforming work. I was a part of TC6 way back in 2011, And it was such an important part of my spiritual journey. It is really hard to explain all that happens in this two-year, 27-month experience. So over the course of this season, we're going to be inviting different ones of our alums to share about what their transforming community experience meant to them. So here's what this week's alum has to say. My TC experience has been one of immense value that has continued to benefit me in tangible ways since I completed this journey a little over a year and a half ago. Most meaningful for me has been the gift of learning how to daily enter into silence with the benefit of focusing myself each day, along with the expectation of hearing from the Holy Spirit for guidance and assurance that he's going before me. But thinking back to when I was actually attending the conference, probably the most surprising benefit that I received was the gift of rest. After settling in after our first evening session, I realized that because I was geographically away from my responsibilities, that I was probably going to get a good sleep that night. And I did. The next morning, following that session, we had lunch. And then we had three hours of personal free time where we could take walks, use the fitness room, read or journal about our latest insights. However, I found myself that Monday afternoon getting back to my dorm, very drawn to my bed. And as I fell down on that mattress, I didn't come back for three and a half hours. So as I sheepishly walked into my group session about 45 minutes late, although I was a bit embarrassed, I was extremely refreshed and felt amazing. The next morning, my cohorts that I ate breakfast with started chiding me about my extended nap time. And I responded, yep, that was amazing. I guess you could call that a $500 nap, referring to the price of my plane ticket out and back to Chicago for the benefit of getting some much-needed rest. I never would have got that back in Denver. 
and at future quarterly meetings, like I said, I had every intention of jogging or reading or journaling, but each time on that Monday afternoon, I felt myself drawn to that cozy little bed that was waiting for me for my three-hour nap. So the great unexpected blessing of TC14 for me was knowing that at least every three months, I could get on a plane, meet with some amazing people, be encouraged and directed by the Lord, and get my $500 nap. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and to apply to the next transforming community. And now back to my conversation with Adele on invitations from God. A statement that I would love for us to unpack, and I think we could take some time with this, is if you aren't resting, you are a slave to something. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't think most of us think about rest in that way, that if we're not resting, we're enslaved. And yet, I, I think that's true, and it resonates with some of the work that I've been doing on Sabbath, because Sabbath is first and foremost, in the Old Testament, as it was given to the Israelites, is first and foremost about their freedom. It is. Yeah, Absolutely. that they are no longer subject You're not to the slaves. Pharaoh. They're not slaves. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a great statement. And, you know, when God gave the Sabbath, the Israelites struggled to understand it. They struggled to make the transition from working seven days to working six days. I think they couldn't even imagine a, a world where you didn't have to work every single day and where you weren't constantly at the mercy of the production-driven Pharaoh and everybody else. Well, and... I just want to interject. Yeah. If you read the Exodus story, what, what Pharaoh is constantly saying is, work harder, don't stop, make them produce mm -hmm. the same amount. L you're lazy, lazy, lazy. I mean, it's this, wow. Yeah. His life was driven by production schedules. And right. those slaves didn't have any say. That's right. And so I think that that really does connect the dots between our ability to rest and whether or not we're enslaved to something. I think the Israelites knew it was a gift, but it was a gift that was hard to figure out how to receive, right? And Moses had to be the one to teach them, you mm -hmm. know, this is how we do it. I know this is really counterintuitive. <laughs> and nobody's ever lived this way before, but this is, this is what we're going to do. But then you point out that it wasn't long before the freed slaves wanted to go back to their slavery, and at least it was familiar, and it didn't require time alone with God or doing something new and risky. I feel like maybe people have experienced some new levels of freedom in the disruption of the past mm. 18 months. Mm -hmm. I know I felt it that way. Yes. I mean, to come to every single evening and not have any commitments. <laughs> I felt like I had died and gone to heaven, you know? Um, Chris and I would take walks, and we would have leisurely dinners, and we would get to bed on time. And, oh, I love not having evening commitments. And I still don't because we're not back to all of that yet. Can we keep ourselves from going back to our enslavement? <laughs> so even, even the, using the word enslavement, one of the mm -hmm. things I wonder for some of us, we work more, we, we can honestly say we work more and harder than we ought to or should. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're slaves, we're enslaved, we're slaves with a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And that the paycheck is the taskmaster. Mm -hmm. And so there can be this, this sense of, well, I've got to work this much, even though nobody is telling me mm -hmm. to work this much. And yeah. so Sunday comes along, Sabbath, you know, if you're taking your Sabbath as a, as a pastor, Sabbath comes along and it's like, well, what do I need to do today? That's, <laughs> That's right. the first question. 
What do I need to do today? And then, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to be doing that today. <laughs> wait a second. And, of course, Sabbath keeping is, is challenging for pastors in particular, but it can be worked with and it needs to be worked with. And, in fact, I think we can order our whole congregation's lives around making sure that pastors and everybody else get a Sabbath. We can actually model it and order our lives for it if, if we hear this invitation. But we have to hear this invitation first, don't we? We do. And I love that the whole... Ten Commandments, where the command comes from, starts with remember that you were slaves mm-hmm. in Egypt. That's right. And God and brought you yes. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Remem- and now you get to live another way. And you don't have to choose slavery mm-hmm. again. I mean, yes. so there's a sense of, of how, do we, how do we do it? We remember that we're free people. Mm-hmm. I don't know who said this, but somebody said, if you take a, a Sabbath, it is an act of resistance mm-hmm. to the culture. Yeah, it's, it's Brueggemann. It's, um, yeah, that's who it is in in his book, Sabbath is Resistance. Do you think that we can use the pause that came from the last 18 months and actually bring that over into contemporary life and carry it forward? I'm, I I wonder if we will, like, will we let the last 18 Mm -hmm. months really change us at this level? Do you think we will? So didn't, didn't you talk about that question during COVID with people because they would say, oh, I, I want to keep this or, oh, yes. I, I feel like we did talk about it. We said, when we go back to normal, will yeah. it be a new normal mm-hmm. or will it be the old normal? And everybody yeah. was saying, oh, I'm going to do it differently. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think that if it happens, it will be people being very intentional and aware yeah. that this is going to take mindful uh, choices yeah. because the wake and the draft on getting engaged full force is so strong. Yeah. It's kind of interesting for you that you're finishing up COVID and heading into new rhythms of, I don't, I don't know if you're calling it retirement. What are you calling it? Um, just no, a new way, just, a new normal. Well, well, hopefully it'll free up some yeah. time. But, yeah. we, we but you changed your status. We did change um, our status. It was a change status. of status. And um, we, we were trying to recover some time, you know, yeah. to, to slow down and to listen. And I, I feel like during COVID, part, part of what was happening was once we got past this, everything up and running, once we got that cameras going and everything virtual once that was over there was just space i'd never mm-hmm. had and i feel like i don't want to lose that s- sense of what it means to have extended time mm-hmm. with god that i i hadn't had in a long yeah. time and so in part of the the choice to step away is is a choice that a choice to recover our lives and I think Sabbath is about recovering our lives. So I'm going to try to to keep part of the, a new rhythm. What new rhythms are you going to try to keep? Well, I mentioned the evenings and how lovely it was not to have evening commitments. And I think I find myself now rarely being willing to, to say yes to anything that involves an evening. Mm. Because I just liked our evenings mm-hmm. the way that they were. And it was healthier because we did... We did incorporate walking every single day, and I'm doing that even now. Like, I mean, it's not a complete day uh, if I don't get a walk in, which is really important. And so I think to give away evenings in the, in the week or on the weekends, it's got to be something. 
I won't give those up easily. I haven't gone back at all to having evening commitments. The other thing for me is, and you know, Adele, you are a wonderful traveler. You love to travel. I never have loved to travel, but I have traveled a lot. And because we couldn't fly and stuff like that, there was nothing, no travel. And, oh, I did I love that. And so. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah, so, so I can't <sighs> see myself going back to traveling as much as I was traveling before. Uh-huh. And it just feels great. It just feels great to know that I won't. Um, because that's me living my life is is mm-hmm. not getting on airplanes when I don't want to. Mm-hmm. So I do feel some freedoms and I do feel that because I've experienced a kind of freedom that I, I, I won't go back. I just know that I won't because it was too good. Mm-hmm. So I hope that anybody listening could claim a couple things like that and say that was just too good. I'm mm-hmm. not and I'm not willing to go back to the way it was. That was too uh, delicious. It really was. So that's that's a couple of things right there, and yeah. it feels good to name them out loud. So thank you yeah. for asking. And it, it, it did feel good to to have longer meals and not that's be right. rushing to yes, exactly to to sit yeah. around the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I read more books, and I'm a reader like you are. I'm just I just love to read, and it had been a long time since I had had extended periods of time to read and it's just it's just lovely to reconnect with some of the joys of life beyond beyond the busyness and beyond the drivenness I hope we can hang on to it you talk about the idea of soft addictions um and Ruth what are your soft addictions yes thanks so much let's just jump right in thank you no 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 that's not fair That is not fair. <laughs> I'm even trying to remember how you define that. Define it for us at least, Adele. Tell us what a soft addiction is. Well, a soft <laughs> soft addiction is something that you do because you don't want to do something else. Okay, so see, I put it out of my consciousness. Can't even keep it in my consciousness. I'm so embarrassed And it won't it kill you, but you can't stop it. Yeah. So, like, is your coffee a soft addiction <laughs> yes and i claim it proudly <laughs> cannot do my day without my coffee but of course god god's there god is always there when i'm having my coffee so how could i give that up uh-huh. <laughs> oh my so soft exercise i mean mm-hmm. i i've talked to so many people during covid because initially crossfit and all those places were yeah closed mm-hmm. and it was like what am I going to do? How am I going to stay in shape? Yeah. You know, and there's this sense of, can you live without being at the gym every day? Mm-hmm. If you can't live without it, it's a addiction, no matter how good it is. And I feel like people began to see, well, you know, I'll adjust and we'll figure this out. And CrossFit eventually opened. But it's just the awareness of what am I using just to sort of sidestep or one of the things I do when there's downtime, mm. uh, I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to. This is irritation. This is not an order of should. <laughs> words with friends. Mm. You know, I play Scrabble mm-hmm. on my phone with friends, and I can play way too much rather than be intentional about time, mm-hmm. Sabbath rest it's just mindlessness Mm -hmm. that's one of my soft addictions now 
Mm-hmm. All right. I think reading can even be a I soft think reading would be, yeah, reading would be, would be the thing. Yeah, because I always have 10 books going. And so if I don't, if, if I want to escape reality, I can pick one, mm-hmm. you know. Watching TV, yeah. watching mindless. I, I, I don't have trouble with people watching TV. And during COVID, honestly, Doug and I watch more TV mm-hmm. because we like evenings. Yeah. Right. And so we've watched some very good series and things. Mm-hmm. But if that becomes the way we interact, right, it's always around the TV, right. then it becomes a soft addiction. Yeah. And I think COVID set us up for that. Yes. As you put so well that there wasn't, there weren't a lot of options no, for things weren't. to do. <laughs> and so, I mean, I'm glad that we brought that up because this could be a time to reevaluate what, whatever pattern we got into that we slipped into unconsciously without realizing what was happening. This is a good time to evaluate that. Mm-hmm. And now that COVID's over, should we be watching TV six or six or seven nights a week? A week. Probably not. Cause no one, I didn't do that before. No, I didn't no. do that. I mean, I, yeah, not at all. So who had time it, to do that? Right. Oh, well, the other <laughs> one, the other one that I'm aware of is that I started watching the news oh, during the last yes. 18 months. I never watched the news before. Me either. And then I was turning the television on just to see those COVID numbers. You know, I, every day I wanted to see the COVID numbers and see what was happening. And then pretty soon we're turning the news on every night. Well, that is a terrible way to spend your life because the news is not encouraging. And I'm getting out of that now and I'm really glad, you know, oh, cause me, me too. it's too depressing and it's, and it gets you riled up and it takes it you off in directions of thinking things that you don't even need to be thinking about. And so yeah, the news definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So those, those kinds of uh, things really can keep us from resting these kinds of soft addictions. Yeah. Are there other things that keep you from resting? I think the the busyness, I think one of the things I'm aware of is that when, is that the, my mind is working so hard that I can mm. actually do all the right things externally to make it a restful time, even a vacation. But if I can't get my mind to settle down, then I'm not really resting at that level. So rest for the mind and the disciplines around rest for the mind are really, really significant, I think. Mm-hmm. I think some of us need some ritual around how to help our minds rest you know um, what's your ritual well I mean centering prayer to me is a spiritual discipline that really helps with that because by its very nature you're letting your thoughts go so that you can be present to the one who's always present and when I'm practicing that practice regularly in my life my mind is more under control Mm -hmm. you know because it is a discipline that's meant for that. It's a discipline that right-sizes the role of the mind, I think, in our lives. And you're trusting that something's going on underneath the level of your own hard work and human striving and thinking really, really hard. So, you know, in the rest of life, you receive your thoughts and think your thoughts and probably even value your thoughts. In centering prayer, your thoughts aren't that valuable. <laughs> and in fact, you're supposed to release them and just let them float down the river that's or, right. you know, float by in the sky. And so... It's a really, really good discipline for rest for the mind, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I'm grateful for for that that discipline. Mm-hmm. So I think doing stuff that gets you in your body is helpful too, you know. To, I was going to say being outdoors. That's right. For me, mm-hmm. all, all during COVID, even though every I would say every day we walked as well, and it, mm-hmm. you know how cold it was. Yeah. Putting on 
all of our clothes and mm -hmm. going out and walking various times of the day. It was not always the same time, but to move and get outdoors and see mm -hmm. there, there is more going on in this world than what's going on in my four walls. That's right. That's right. Imagine <laughs> that. Just imagine that. So uh, Ruth and I are really wanting to invite you to do a little bit of trial and error and experimenting around how you're going to rest and lean into your Sabbath. Um, one of the phrases that I like is 24-6 living. What would it be like for you as you head into uh, out of COVID and into what's next to say, I will develop a 24-6 rhythm rather than the whole 24-7 American thing. Yeah. So just to receive the gift of Sabbath is a huge spiritual practice. And then I would say on Sabbath, I mean, Ruth is, is eloquent on how to spend Sabbath. I love what she says about Sabbath. But what are the things that give you life on Sabbath? What are the rhythms of that day that can give you life? And, and for a pastor, if it's not Sunday, then choose that day and hold to it. But what are the things? Is it being outdoors? Is it reading a book? Is it taking a nap? Is it making love to your spouse? Is it to, to have a, a sense of we go into this day to open ourselves wide to the things that grow relationships, whether it's with God or with other people. So I, I also think that for some of you that know the liturgy of the hours, traditionally in the monastic system, People stop to pray seven times a day or depending on the order, it may have been, you know, you have morning prayer, midday prayer, vespers, evening prayer, compline. You have these these times that you stop. And I loved that one author, I don't remember who, said these little teeny stops each day are little Sabbaths, mm -hmm. little moments yeah. that you get to rest from what you're doing. Yeah. And when I was at working at the church I served in the Chicagoland area, uh, every noon the bells would ring. Mm -hmm. And I would try to stop whatever I was doing when the bells rang, just to reorient that I would need God's strength and presence to go back into the day. You know, mm -hmm. so this little teeny Sabbath right in what is. Ruth, right. do you have any other suggestions about how they might practice Sabbath? Or rest. Well, yeah, I don't reduce rest to just Sabbath keeping. Um, so I think we can cultivate solitude and silence as places of rest in oh, God, yeah. where we're not filling it up with a lot of busyness and Bible study and wordy prayers and all that, but we actually cultivate solitude and silence first and foremost as a place of rest in God. The Sabbath pauses, moments when you step back or turn away from your desk and let yourself breathe for 60 seconds. Um, I think that can be really a powerful reset. Yes. And then, of course, it, you know, the Sabbath day is tremendously significant. Um, I, to me, it's what keeps me in the game. It's what keeps me alive. I wouldn't. I, I just often say I don't even think I'd be here doing what I do if it wasn't for the practice of Sabbath keeping. And then we won't go into this right now, but I think pastors need sabbatical seasons also. Oh, that's and a I really see good. that you mm -hmm. know as part of. I see that as part of the rhythm of resting in God regularly and routinely. But I just wanted to close by reminding us of the verses in Hebrews 4 where the, the writer states in the strongest possible way that the invitation to rest, 
that the possibility of rest is still open for the people of God and that when we refuse it, we're actually being rebellious and disobedient. I don't know of any other thing that God asks us to do where he's that clear about the fact that if you don't enter in, you're actually Mm -hmm. being disobedient and rebellious, that the rest of God still remains for the people of God who are willing to rest from their labors as God rested from his. Let us therefore make every effort Effort. to enter that rest Rest. so that no one may fall, fall through such disobedience as theirs. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how we consider this to be sort of an elective Elective. because God makes it so clear. So I just, I pray God helps us as human beings to live according to the good rhythms that God has given to us as a gift. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. There are so many podcasts to choose from, and I'm grateful you have spent the last 30 minutes with us. If God has stirred something in you about your own leadership experience, maybe God is inviting you to begin your own journey of leadership transformation by joining a transforming community. You can visit transformingcenter.org to learn more and apply. Also, thanks for your support of the podcast and the work of the Transforming Center. If you have enjoyed the conversation, please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can become a partner and receive exclusive content by visiting patreon.com slash transformingcenter.